Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Cleontel podcast with me, Robin Allender. And this week I'm delighted to be joined by the Australian author and critic, Anwen Crawford. Anwen has written the 33 and a third book about Hull's album, Live Through This, and she has also recently published No Document, an extraordinary collage-like book, which is part political essay, part memoir and part elegy. The book is available in Australia and in the US, but not in the UK as yet. So if any British publishers are interested, do get in touch with Anwen because it is a fantastic book. Uh, really interesting chat this week. And alongside the clientele, we talk about blogging in the noughties, burial, broadcast and cricket as an ambient sport. So there's quite a lot going on. Um, Anwen's first introduction to the clientele was The Violet Hour. And she's recently written a beautiful blog post which mentions that album and also mentions the podcast. I'll post a link in the episode description. But um, I love this, uh, this description here of The Violet Hour. I was thinking about the fact that every instrument, including voice, sits at the same volume, more or less. You'd assume this would make the mix sound muddy and awful, but instead, what with cymbals as loud or as soft as the guitar, or as the vocals, a properly enchanting all planes of time are simultaneous effect arises. It's the sonic equivalent of pressing a flower. The thing loses dimensionality, but gains in unexpected detail. It's a beautiful piece of writing, I think. We recorded this chat back in July, shortly after the news had broken about Sinead O'Connor's death. So we started our conversation by talking about that. Are you ready to just jump into it, as they say? Sure, yeah. I'm not sure if you're going to get me at my at my, at my best. It's been a, a long day. It's been a strange old time. Yeah, yeah. a long day. I, f- I must say, I feel really, I feel so sad about the, the news about Sinead O'Connor. Um, yeah. And I'm, I can't even say that I'm like a, you know, devoted fan of hers, but it's just so sad. It's so sad. And, you know, um, yeah. I just don't, I just don't think the world knows what to do with women who are, don't fit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think it's just awful when you think she was essentially a figure of fun Exactly. You know, of yeah, mockery yeah. For, for so of long. Of mockery. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I wrote a book about whole a, a few years ago, well, about live through this specifically, and I mean, Courtney is another of those yeah. figures who, who's just who just became a, a punching bag for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and of course, the two of them knew each other, which is perfect. But um, but yeah, it's that thing. It's that. It's just that thing of the way that, you know, particular kind of woman in the music industry, ang- angry women, troubled women, women who don't fit, they just get fucking thrown to the wolves. Yeah. yeah. It's just horrible. And similarly to Amy Winehouse as well. Amy Winehouse, she was right. just yeah. It was just yeah. a joke about, she, oh, she's always drunk, you know. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. She's clearly yeah. unwell and it's so clear now, but, you know, it's yeah, so that's right. shocking that's right. that the it spectacle. takes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it, it takes, it takes, you know, but it's like, I hate it. I hate it so much because it's like, you know, people, maybe not so much with Sinead O'Connor in recent years and certainly judging by my Instagram feed, like everyone is equally sad, but, you know, people like Courtney and Amy Winehouse and I think certainly Sinead for a certain period of time, there's this sense that people want, people want them to die. Like people are willing them to self-destruct, you know, there's that, there's that, 
really nasty sense of spectacle around it and of kind of this this kind of bait you know waiting waiting for people to destroy themselves mm. and then when they do it's like oh well you know and then, then then everyone then everyone is sad but it's like well you know there's a there's there can be a real nastiness around that stuff i mean courtney has defied all expectations by managing to stay alive mm. um but you know um yeah, it's 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 horrible, and of course, you know, Sinead. I mean, God, I grew up in a Catholic family, and Sinead, she told the fucking truth, and she got fucking destroyed for it. You yeah, know? yeah. Just for such. I mean, she was vindicated eventually, yeah. but by God, she paid the price. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just the. The way that she didn't want to just have a standard career, and she was That's wanted right. to choose, you know, take these left turns and make a reggae album, and that was yeah. completely mocked at the time. But you know, yeah. looking back, she was—you have to allow artists to be artists, you know—and she was such exactly. a, a pure artist as well, you know. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think that's the other thing. And I mean, similarly with Amy Winehouse, she she clearly struggled with the expectation that she was going to be or had become like a pop star. And, you know, she said over and over again that it wasn't what she wanted and she wanted to be a jazz singer, you know, but, 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 but yeah, but I think too, that that is particularly with women that that's, again, the world really struggles to know what to do with artists who, who, who get some kind of mainstream success and say, well, actually, no, this isn't what I want, you know, and then I'm going to try and turn around and, and do something else and people are like what do you what do you mean what do you mean you don't want our shiny fame <laughs> yeah know? yeah and, um, and then you're just branded as mad or difficult, you know, difficult yeah mad yeah. difficult yeah all yeah. that all that stuff you know yeah, yeah. gosh because you try and exert some kind of agency over your career yeah yeah um, yeah. yeah anyway, anyway. yes um, right well the clientele <laughs> on that happy note yeah, <laughs> yeah. um Thank you so I'm much. I'm gonna have this. to remember that pronunciation. I, oh, you know, yes. I, I mean, because you do you say clientele? Clientele, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know. I don't think. I don't think I actually knew until a few <laughs> years ago that that's what it was meant to be. And, and down here, down here in Australia, you don't hear many people say <laughs> clientele. So. Well, say it how you want to say it's it. That's not, it's fun. not what comes naturally to me. Yeah, sure. Well, it, well, it can be the clientele for this episode. So that's good. <laughs> I'll, I'll make an effort. I'll yeah. also make an effort. I'll also make an effort not to, not to swear. Um, oh, you can swear if you want. That's all good. Okay. Um, yeah, could you, I wonder? Could you start by just telling us a bit about your background and the music that you grew up listening to, and how that led to you becoming a critic and writer? Oh God. Um, well, I mean, I guess I grew up. You know, I mean, I'm how old am I? I'm forty-one now. So. Um, my childhood was in the 80s and, um, I, I mean, apart from anything else, my my father, who I'm, I'm long estranged from at this point, but he, you know, he was a, a kind of a part-time musician. He never did it for a living, but he, he played in a lot of bands and that kind of thing when I was a kid. So I kind of grew up with a lot of music and, and my parents were quite young. You know, my, my parents were only in their early 20s when they, when they had me. So, um... So I guess I guess I didn't grow up with that, um, you know. My 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 parents were the punk age. I mean, they weren't punks, but but they were that age. You know, they were kind of right at the tail end of the kind of baby boomers. So they didn't 
they didn't give to me the kind of, I guess, that that baby boomer canon that I might have had from older parents. I actually kind of got, got I got a lot of, you know, my, my childhood in the 80s was, 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 was very much things like Kate Bush, David Sylvian, Elvis Costello, the Sugar Cube. My mum was a huge Sugar Cubes fan. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff, that more kind of art pop stuff they were really into, you know. And looking back, I think, oh, well, they must have been really hip and cool. But, of course, when you're five, five and six years old, you just, it's just like, <laughs> yo, whatever, it's what's around, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, the Blue Nile was another one who I mm. still adore. I mean, I adore yeah. all those people I've just mentioned, but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I guess it was just um, that and, you know, I, I, I kind of, I played some music myself. I still, I still do a bit. I sing in a choir and things like that. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, and then, and then, of course, in the nineties, you know, as a as a as a teenage girl, I kind of got very into uh, kind of zines and and that whole. I mean, you know, my my first book, uh, lived through this, was in that thirty three and a third series about the, the whole album of the same name. So all that was very that was very important to me as a teenager. That 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 kind of whole. Um, yeah, that kind of feminist punk scene, you know, I, I, I did, I, I got into all that in a, in a big way. Um, yeah. And that's, I guess that's where I started writing about music because I started making, I started making scenes as a, as a teenager. And I, I was also a kind of devoted reader of the, uh, British music press, which, you know, here, here would always arrive kind of six to seven weeks late. It would kind of come over on the surface mail so you would get the you would get the NME or Melody Maker about about um yeah six to eight weeks after it was published in the UK um because you know Australia is a very I mean obviously our population is very um small really compared to the rest you know compared to other comparable um countries so um so we've we've really never had that much of a of a music press I mean our press in general is small and and you know, I mean, all, all through the nineties and two thousands, I mean, apart from a, apart from a kind of local edition of Rolling Stone, that was kind of always an odd blend of stuff from the U S magazine. And then a bit of local content subbed in, there were never any kind of standalone, uh, Australian kind of music magazines that were, that were widely available. So, um, when I graduated, well, no, I didn't graduate from zines. I still make zines to this day. Um, but, you know, in my early twenties, I started writing for the street press, as as we used to call it, um, which were essentially the kind of gig gig listing guides that all the venues would put their gig listings in for the weeks to come, and 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 you know they were essentially advertising sheets, but they would be interspersed with with in, with interviews and and record reviews of whoever was touring, and you know they paid absolute peanuts. Sometimes they didn't pay at all, but it was it was a good way to. It was it was really the only place where if you had any desire to write about music locally that you could kind of do it because there were there weren't any there weren't any magazines um, and it was it was a good way to learn it was a good way to kind of cut your teeth on yeah you know doing things week by week and doing the the classic like the fifteen minute presser kind of phone interview and you know learning learning the nuts and bolts with 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 basically zero oversight because you know you could hand in rubbish and they didn't care but I guess <laughs> I guess if you I guess if you actually had aspirations to learn how to write about music like I did it was a it was you know yeah it was, good, it was good a place, place to, to start. start yeah yeah and was it through that that you first came across the Cleontel 
It was actually, yeah, it was because I re- I remember quite distinctly. I mean, I guess I remember because they became very important to me. But um, the, the Violet Hour, um, which was the first record of theirs I I heard, was um, distributed here locally by a, a now sadly defunct label called Pop Frenzy, uh, and I remember kind of getting a bunch of promo CDs from. From them, you know, like a lot of like a lot of local labels, they kind of did a mixture of local artists and then distributing overseas artists, and and they had the clientele and they had that record, the Violet Hour, which um, the edition the edition that I had and that was distributed here had the kind of Ariadne EP tacked onto the right. end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a kind of two in one deal, uh, which made it about four tracks longer. Um, and yeah, so that, and I, I can't, I, I've racked my brains about this in a, a few times. Uh, and I honestly cannot remember if I reviewed it or not. I can't remember. And I never kept any, I, I am unfortunately an unsentimental creature and I'm not very good at keeping archives. So I never kept any of my clippings from the street press. So I, mm-hmm. I can't go back and check. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know if I reviewed it, but. I, I I did I did come to I did come to love it. Yeah. What 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 was it about it that stood out for you, if you can remember? I mean, it, that sounds so banal to say it was the sound, but of course it was the sound. I mean, it was it was one of those classic. I mean, classic kind of slow burn records that I think the I think the first few times I listened to it, I thought, oh yeah, I know what this is. But then the more I listened to it, the more the more intrigued I became. I became, and I mean, I think I th- I think that's that is partly the kind of the, the magic and the, the charm of the clientele is that. And I remember, I mean, I remember those were the kind of early, very early days of the kind of online publications like Pitchfork and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And and I remember, I remember sometimes I would come across the review, you know, review of of them and. Um, and it would it would it would clear. I mean, and this is this is often the problem with music criticism is that it is is that it would it would clearly be a, re- a review that had been written after only two or three listens, which is actually right. not. Yeah. Doesn't with with a band like the clientele, it's not going to give you um, what you need. Um, but but this this is this is where, you know, this is where it's complicated for 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 artists who are more who are more subtle than others and who who repay kind of repeat listening is that mm. um they don't fare well in a world of kind of instant opinion um yeah so i it was it was it was that kind of it was that sound and i mean let's face it that you know for for guitar any and i mean you know i have i mean i i'm i'm a critic it's it's part of the job description to kind of listen widely and broadly but in terms of like guitar music the early 2000s was pretty dire like it was a pretty dire time I hated all that kind of rock revival stuff coming out of the US but I sure, equally yeah. hated all the kind of with with one or two honorable exceptions but but I equally hated all that kind of landfill indie indie stuff that was just so unimaginative um and um yeah and and, and the, the clientele really really uh stuck out to me it was so evocative and 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 just that, you know, that sense which I'm sure other people have have talked about of 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 world of world building, which I think is um, it's really, you know, more rare, more rare than it should be, and it's something I'm, I'm I've always been, you know, I, I if I was to think 
think through a lot of my favorite musical artists that's that's one thing that they would have in common I guess is they that sense of kind of world building um mm. you know that sense that you kind of not only that they have a distinctive sound but that but that that everything they do is perhaps part of some kind of longer ongoing project and and each each record or each song even is a kind of refraction of 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 a, of a long project you know i mean i, th- I think of, i think of a band like broadcast who mm. who you know hugely important to me and that similar thing that you kind of you know you know immediately that you're kind of in that in that world you yeah. Know? yeah 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 i think that's so true and when you listen to a clientele song it's like you're back in that world again yes familiar landmarks and things like that yeah Yeah. obviously the use of repeated phrases and words and imagery and yeah yeah and repeated musical ideas too but in a good way you know like certain kind of chord progressions or melodic ideas that kind of seem to recur over and over again and and things like the kind of the you know the the bossa nova kind of rhythms and and you know there are these kind of markers of of the clientele world and I mean, the landmarks thing is interesting also in terms of, um, I guess, the lyrics. And I, I must say after, you know, after being one of those teenagers who kind of was was kind of poured over lyric sheets, I really I really moved away from that in my in my 20s, partly because I started listening to a lot more kind of electronic and instrumental music and mm-hmm. lyric, lyrics fell a long way down my list of importance and um in fact, I don't. I don't look at lyric sheets um, anymore unless I have to. Um, but uh, you know, I think I've. I, I mean, one of one of the reasons I found the, the clientele intriguing for a really long time is is obviously that sense of that real sense of place. But I guess, I guess the way that I negotiate that um, as as an Australian, um, because. You know, Australian Australian cities and towns are so kind of overrun and overlaid with English and, and British names. You know, the kind of the legacy of the of the colonial project, um, and so I guess one of the things that really intrigues me and and moves me moves me about the the clientele. I mean, obviously they have that sense of Englishness, but they also have that sense of kind of. I guess being always being slightly kind of sideways or somehow alienated from 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 the landscape in some way, like you're kind of coming at it from some weird angle, or something has happened to kind of throw you out of it or make you hyper aware of it. Um, mm. That kind of dream state where the where the where the kind of details are, are, are hyper, are kind of hyper real, and and you feel a kind of unease and. And I think I, I I think I think for me that's also true. That's also just true of my experience of being, you know, being being an an, an Australian, being a being a settler, you know, a settler Australian, um, in this in this place where you, you know, unless you're indigenous to this place, you you are always existing at that that kind of remove and and and, and all the English the English place names can just be really weird and really mm. jarring. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that I think about that a lot, you know, and it's yeah. actually one of the reasons I, I really I really love the clientele because even though they are very English, something about something about the way they go about it um really uh resonates with me here. Yeah. Mm. 
There's a brilliant afterword you wrote for Alistair's book of lyrics. Oh, yes. Where you say, yes, I lived on the far side of the world from the clientele, but the suburbs are suburban everywhere, which I really like. Well, that's also true, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's also true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the kind of the, the details of, you know, the, the, the minutiae may be, may be different, but the kind of, yeah, the, 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 the feeling the feeling is, is, is the same. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I am, I am one of those people. And I think I didn't, I'm not sure that I wrote this in my afterwards, but I remember you know, writing a piece about them um, a few years back um, from an Australian magazine called The Monthly, where I was the music critic for a long time. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a great, I'm a great walker. Um, I walk, you know, I walk and I walk and I walk, and 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 they they are a great walking band, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and definitely. and great in different. You know, I I lived in um, when I was in my twenties, I lived in um, New York for for a few years, and 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 uh, you know, they were a great accompaniment there, even though that's obviously not a suburban landscape. But mm. um, but yeah, but they're I I always I always feel like they're a band where their songs are kind of often written from the perspective of of somebody somebody walking around and yeah. somebody kind of wa- walking somebody walking around i think i said this some version of this when i wrote about them in the monthly like somebody walking around kind of well beyond the point of exhaustion where again where you're kind of in that kind of dream state you've kind of walked yourself and i i, I kind of love that feeling myself as a as a as an inveterate walker of kind of walking yourself into a state where you're just kind of in this in the zone you know yeah, <laughs> you're just right. in the zone yeah. in the in the walk zone um <laughs> and um yeah and and again I, fi- I find i find their songs really really resonant on that on that level they're they're a great band for for listening to as 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 you walk around yeah my experience i think is is slightly different from when i first started listening to them I lived in Bristol and I would get the bus every Friday night to see my girlfriend in London. I live in London now, but I used to get the National Express bus and I'd be listening to Suburban Light just as the uh, the motorway would kind of there's a, there's a flyover in Hammersmith mm. and you kind of as you you kind of ascend and you look down on the little streets and everything. It just seemed such a perfect soundtrack to that somehow you know yeah, just seeing sure. all the little people you know the, everyone's lives and everything everyone's you know. lives yeah, yeah for sure for it sure was... and i you know i think in subsequent years i've read it i've read some kind of interviews uh with alistair where he kind of talks about i guess growing up in 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 maybe some kind of place that is not 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 quite properly rural but not really urban either and mm. and and I mean, the, say, same with myself, actually. I mean, the, 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 the area where I grew up is really where Sydney proper ends. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm from Sydney. I still live in Sydney. Um, but it's, it's kind of, it's the a place called the, 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 the Blue Mountains. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the mountain, it's the mountain range where the, where the, the where the full extent of Sydney kind of has its natural geographic boundary. And it's, mm. it, it is that kind of, odd and unstable blend of somewhere that's it's not it's not properly rural yeah and it's a bit suburb it, it is suburban in some aspects um but you're kind of close enough to the, you're close enough to the city to be able to get there and to maybe want that particularly when you're young mm. so yeah it's that kind of interest interesting interesting mix of not being 
not being anywhere definitively, like yeah. a kind of in between, an in between place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I lo- I love the the thing you said earlier as well about the dream state. Mm. I think that's so important, and a lot of the songs. I mean, you, you mentioned this as well. Um, I think that, yeah, this is in the afterword as well about uh, the songs won't claim you until you follow their gaze. And that involves admitting to yourself the part of yourself still willing to see ordinary miracles. So, mm. so beautiful, I think. But I think that because a lot of the songs are set in what feels like very ordinary places, mm-hmm. but with the sense of magic or something dreamlike or something unreal, a very important clientele word, I think, unreal. Yeah, unreal. <laughs> that's right. Yes, unreal. I think that's it. And and it is, it is. I mean, again, I go back to the walking, you know, yeah. like I've, just before I'm, I'm talking to you, I, I had I had my afternoon walk and I, I happened to kind of, I happened to come across the tree this afternoon, a kind of half dead, but nevertheless magnificent gum gum tree um, by where I live now is quite close to the water. Um, and, and, you know, this is late afternoon that I'm walking and I happened to come across the tree right near the water's edge where the, um, where the cormorants, you know, mm. one of the seabirds, where the, it's clearly their, their roosting tree. And I'd never, I'd never, I'd never, I mean, I see the cormorants all the time on the water kind of one by one, but I, I just happened to see this tree and they were all, they were, they were, they were about, at least a dozen of them all roosting in this tree and I'd never seen them I'd never seen them roosting before and it it is that it's just like yeah. it's amazing you know it's amazing so, and they are those kind of ordinary musicals ordinary musicals <laughs> <laughs> the clientele musical uh, the clientele good. musical can't wait um <laughs> Uh, or, yeah, no. Uh, well, that too. Yeah, um, ordinary musicals and ordinary and ordinary kind of miracles. You know, yeah. the way that the light, the way that the light falls, or or you know, whatever, whatever kind of local phenomenon you happen to come across, and yeah, yeah. And, and to, to go back to the walking again, your your book, no document. Mm. comes with a, a playlist which has got some brilliant songs on it oh yes it does and one of the songs is losing haringey yeah uh, which is obviously a brilliant song about walking and exactly the kind of dream state you talk about um absolutely what, what what are your feelings about that song and and why do you think it's had such a resonance because so many people love that song yeah i'm i yes i mean i think i i think i think it is, it is about somehow managing to articulate that that state we've been talking about that unreal state of being again kind of beyond exhaustion and and a little kind of outside of yourself and yeah. and in a kind of frame of mind where you don't where you where where you where where it's like you kind of have that time time slip sense. I mean, yeah. that's partly what the song's about, right? This kind of sense of falling through time, slipping through time, um, you know. And I think I think that's such a that's such a common feeling, but a very a very difficult one to kind of pin pin down because it, it is so kind of mirage like and, mm. and and elusive even even in the the experience of it is is like that so actually kind of articulating it I think it's a really um you know I think that's why people love that song because it's it's such a it's such a resonant experience and such a, a difficult one to to articulate I mean I think that's that song became particularly important to me um you know this um when a really uh, well, the, the uh, you know my 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 book no document that you mentioned is kind of an it's an elegy for for a friend of mine who died quite 
quite young and um you know, I mean I, I, I had loved that song anyway, but I think it I think it became especially important to me kind of in the in the wake of his death. As did I mean, I think I think that too that gave me a kind of new relationship with with with, with the clientels records. I I remember I remember what felt like quite a long period of time, you know, after he died when I just found so much music, I think particularly, you know, pop music in its broadest sense, just really um just really kind of grating and useless, you know, where you're kind of in this state of intense bereavement and um, and every, it's like, I don't want to hear any of this crap. Like, it's just all so mm. <laughs> trivial and it's really getting on my nerves. Um, and and, and I, 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 felt, I felt like my, my, list, my list of things that I could bear to listen to was really small for quite a long time. Um, but, you know, the, the, the clientele kind of... Um, I could I could listen to and in fact I found a great deal of kind of resonance in them and again and I could ne- I could never kind of quite work out why in in such a kind of grief grief stricken state that they were one of the few artists that I could kind of bear and that in fact seemed to kind of um, speak speak to that state and then again I remember and I don't remember where but I I remember at some point I mean I'm talking back in about 2010 now. Again, coming across online an, an interview with with Alistair, where he actually talked about the fact that he he had formed the band shortly after his mother died, and that 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 part of I guess the impetus for that that extended dream world slash atmosphere of the band was was in some sense about that, in some sense about trying to recreate a world that that has gone and that you'll never get back. Which I think is is partly what losing Harringay is about, quite specifically, mm. you know. It is. It is about that sense of 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 a of a of a of a period in time that is that is irretrievable. Um, but yeah. But in a wider sense, that mood. And and I remember when I read that quote, I thought, oh, that's why. Like it. It all. It all made sense to me then. That that um, that it had such resonance for me um, at a particular period in time. Yeah. Mm. I think it's so beautifully done losing Haringey because there's such I mean just brilliant turns of phrase about the the, mm. the, grease, the greasy a road I think is great and the, the spectral blossoms and things oh yeah but then w- when the kind of magic event happens it's done so literally as I suppose as if it's really happening exactly yeah yeah so he, he's sitting down and he basically imagines or starts to believe that he's in an old photograph he's in a photograph yeah. and the surroundings have taken on the features of the photograph. The, the, mm. What's the great line? The lines of the window ledge in the original photograph were now composed by a tree branch and the silhouetted edge of a grass verge. So brilliant, you know. Yeah. And th- I know exactly the feeling, but it's just so interesting the way it's done very literally as if it is a story and this thing actually happened, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? Um. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think there's also, I mean, there's a certain, there's a certain magic trick about a, a, a spoken word song that comes off, right? Like it's a very, it's a very particular subgenre. Yes. Um, and, it's become a bit overpopulated recently, hasn't it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I'm talking more though about, about, bands that kind of do it as more of a one-off when they mm. wouldn't normally yeah I mean there's yeah. certainly a lot of bands at the at, around at the moment who do the who do who do the spoken thing which I kind of find interesting in its own right that that's come back around again but as a as a kind of subgenre of song that you might kind of 
turn to. I'm always fascinated by how those songs get made because it's like, well, how does how does this work? Like, do you have a kind of instrumental lying around that you can't kind of figure out what to do with, and then it's like, oh, well, we can we can we can do this. I mean, something like the gift by the Velvet Underground is right. another one where you're like, kind of, how on earth did this? How on earth did yeah. this happen? Like, how did this how did this come about? But there is there is a there is a there is a certain um, yeah magic involved in 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 pulling off one of those songs because I think they're I think they're really they're really yeah, hard to do um, and you know as a as as a as a writer as a writer myself and as a writer who thinks a great deal about you know maybe a bit too obsessively about kind of things like sonics and 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 rhythm and and that kind of thing um, you know because I have a background in in poetry kind of um, I mean a that song kind of it 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 stands up as a as a as a as a piece of as a piece of writing a kind Definitely. of you know yeah. prose poem but but it also stands up as a piece of music and i think i think getting both those things right in the same song is really that's really hard definitely and yeah. it also there's humor in it as well because i think there's something funny yeah. about the way you know how you have this extraordinary experience it's quite transcendent and then you're like I'm not going to go to the pub now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Fancy a beer. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's yeah. I got up and walked away from the squat little benches and an oncoming gang of kids. A bus was rumbling to my rescue down the hill with a great big fire Alexandra Palace on its front, and I realised I did want to drink after all. You mentioned no document there. I wonder, have you listened to the new album yet, the, the new Cleontal album? Yeah, yeah, I have. Mm. I have listened to it a few times. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I wondered if you thought there were ways in which the, your book and the new album share some similarities, because I think there's also there's also a lot of grief in the new album, and there's also a lot of. I love the, no document because I love the, how. Um, it, it's fragmentary and collage-like, and there are repetitions. So reading it is almost like the experience of remembering. It's very like memory mm. to read it. It's very, very powerful. And I think there is something similar going on in the new album where there are these repetitions and fragments, and they're all alluding to this central story to do with loss. Do, do, yes. does, does that make sense and it, to you? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to kind of um, um, compare the two, but cert- but certainly, um, yeah, the way kind of the the work the workings of of, of memory uh, and and how how you how you I guess uh, capture that is you know is another thing that the the clientele do so well. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think these. These these moments that have become more frequent, perhaps on the, I mean, they were they were there on a they they have been there all along, but they seem to have become more prominent on the on the more recent albums. These kind of um, you know these interludes, these kind of instrumental moments that I always think of as, I mean, they are they they I guess they do lend a certain kind of fragmentary sense to things, but they also, I always kind of conceive of them as, as almost like thresh, thresholds, those, mm. those kind of pieces. Um, you know, I remember writing that about the last, the last album, like these kind of thresh, threshold pieces where, um, you know, that, and then it, then it's like the next, the next song happens in again, in kind of whatever universal unreal world that, 
instrumental has has led has 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 led you to you know so I'm I'm really I'm really interested in the way that they um, that that seems to have become a much more um, prominent part of the way that they put their albums together yeah. these kind of instrumental um, interludes I mean once again true to form um, I have not looked at the lyric sheet so, <laughs> <laughs> partly because I'm always I and I'm not sure I'd have to double check but I'm not sure if my copy you know my 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 now very battered cd copy of the violet hour um that i've had since 2003 or whenever i'm not sure that that actually had a lyric sheet in it um so and and i'm i'm a great i'm a great believer in just kind of like winkling things out by listening to them you know and 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 also mishear i love it i love a mishearing i tend to think that whatever whatever you hear when you listen to a song is the song that you need it to be yeah 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 so i don't that's part of the reason i even though i'm a writer and this may sound counterintuitive i kind of actually i resist looking at lyric sheets because i i'm a great believer in kind of um in experiencing lyrics as as sound, you know, as yeah. sound, um, yeah. and in thinking about them that way, um, whether you're hearing them kind of correctly, quote unquote, or not. There's that great thing Pulp used to put in the liner notes was, was please don't read this while listening yes. to the music. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I remember taking that to heart as a teenager. Yeah. That may have been where the light bulb went on for me, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm actually going to do as I'm told. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will not. I will not read the lyric sheet while listening to the record. <laughs> um yeah yeah but yeah I mean certainly that sense of that memory that kind of memory and loss go kind of runs all the way through Mm. through their work through the through the clientele and 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 again you know I wonder I wonder how much of it relates to that kind of the circumstances of their formation yeah yeah Yeah. I I think as well going back to no document the other thing I I thought maybe is well, you mentioned it already. This idea that you're interested in the sounds of words, but there mm. is an element of the book where it is very music-like as well. I, I think, and I mean, that was quite conscious, you yeah. know. Again, I mean, I, ha- I have a, I have, I have, I have a background in in poetry, so I, I'm, you know, I, I do, I do approach it that way. But, but I was, you know, it's a, it's a book, it's a, it's a book that kind of, I guess, you know, slides between. I'm describing it for the benefit of every single listener of this podcast who will not have read it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, um, But, um, you know, I guess it's a book that operates somewhere in a a grey zone between poetry and prose or kind of incorporates Mm. both um, slides between the two of them. And so the sonics of it are really important. But also it was not a book that I had many... um, structural models for you know it's not like a novel where it's like chapter one chapter two chapter three um so I did I did think a lot I did think a lot about about um music when I was writing it I mean I think a lot about music anyway when I'm writing but but I did I did I did really conceive of it in those terms that it was almost like a kind of a multi-part you know, without wanting to sound like a, a total wanker which I will anyway <laughs> but like a kind of multi multi-part piece of piece of music and Mm. um yeah just in terms of trying to change you know change change the rhythms and change the pacing from kind of part to part and that sense of a refrain too you know I I am really interested I'm really interested in 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 repetition um both in music and in and in writing I'm really interested in in refrains um yeah so all of all of those were kind of 
quite quite deliberate decisions to kind of have things have things repeat um yeah yeah well that's yeah. i mean again that's how memory works isn't it you don't just remember something that happened once you remember it multiple times and it might change it in different ways so yeah yeah that's right that's right i think the book does reflect reflect that and yeah and i really i mean i love that about the clientele too and i you know i think we were talking about this earlier that sense of that sense of world building but that sense that yes you you that perhaps perhaps in a good way everything is everything is the same the same song or the same mm. memory yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the same kind of set of memories that you're getting from slightly different angles um over 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 different records and and certain certain scenarios or states seem to recur you mm. know mm. yeah yeah um and I, yeah I, I really love the way I think you quote from some transcripts and broadcasts and there are big chunks missing and there are those absences in the book. Mm. I, th- I just, I don't know, I find that very effective because I suppose it's to do with history, what gets remembered and what gets cast yeah. aside. And yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. That's right. And I mean, you know, that's partly about about a texture and, 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 and one thing, I mean, both visual and sonic and yeah, I mean, one element I find really interesting on this, on this new clientele record is, is, is again, this, this spoken, this kind of spoken word yeah. element, yeah. but it's not, it's not Alistair's voice, you know, it's someone else's voice. And I, I find that really, I find that really interesting. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's, I think, I think, I think it's really successful. I think it works really well, but, um, it's such a, yeah, it's such an interesting. Um, it's a really interesting choice, and again, adds a, adds a different kind of um, texture mm. to things. Yeah, I think it makes it very filmic somehow. I don't know that. Yeah, that, like there are new scenes or something like that's happening. That's and right. I, and I said it. I said as well that to Alistair at one point, the last song feels almost like the credits because there are these nods to earlier songs and other themes coming coming back again. Mm, mm. I think too, when you kind of know as a listener that the voice, the voice you're hearing, maybe particularly in that kind of spoken word sense is someone who is outside of the band. It, it has that filmic quality because you, you, you start to think of it as almost like a narrator's voice, you yeah. know, that, that sense of, that sense of someone, someone from the outside kind of telling you what's, what's going on, you know. My childhood is the March wind fires. My childhood is mauve reflected in a river. My childhood is breath clouding this glass. There's a great bit, um, in, I think it's in the monthly review you wrote, where you talked about the influence of the 60s on the band. Oh yeah, and I suppose this relates to broadcast as well. I think, mm. but you say um, the evocation of the '60s is deliberately askew mm-hmm. when you try to trace their aesthetic to a particular source. The trail vanishes. Did any '60s group really sound like this? Not wholly. I love that. Mm. That the, they seem so. Um, the music is so redolent of the '60s, but not in a way you can actually pinpoint. You know. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And in a funny way, I think I I, I kind of think about uh, what what we were talking about at the start, and and you know the like my childhood and the fact that I had quite young parents who who in the eighties were not they didn't raise me on sixties music. I mean, my my dad did really love the Beatles, but um, 
and my mum loved Simon and Garfunkel um, and my mum also loved a bunch of 60s stuff that I still love that was a different side of the 60s that was like Motown and things like that. You know, she really loved soul music. So, but my, yeah, so my, 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 my 60s was always a bit askew as a, as a kid and as a listener, because I didn't, I didn't get the kind of canonical rock 60s that maybe some other, some other kids got. Um, and, and, and yeah, I, I, I do, I am, I am, I do find it. And, and you're right. I mean, broad, broadcast is similar. It's like, if it feels like the sixties, but kind of why. And I remember Mm. actually when I was right in a couple of years before I wrote in a document, I wrote a, I wrote a a piece, I guess that became a bit of a prototype for the book, a kind of a shorter essay in, in which broadcast came in. And I tried, I tried like hell to put them into no document and I just couldn't make it work. There Mm. are other bands and groups in there and, I really wanted broadcast in there and I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. But I'd, I'd written this prototype piece a few years beforehand, which did have broadcast in it. And I was talking about how um, in my mind somehow um, an, an act, even though they don't really sound like this, an act like broadcast, I kind of always related in my mind to, 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 to kind of something like Northern, Northern soul and that sense of being in some kind of, um, I don't know, provincial, provincial nightclub. Um, yeah. I mean, they don't sound, they don't sound like a, yeah. they don't sound like a soul group, but no. I guess, it, I guess, it, I don't know. It's just something about the atmosphere. But yeah, the sixties, the sixties, the kind of mythical, the mythical sixties that that the clientele, um, you know. And it, I guess in subsequent years, I've, I've I've I feel like I've put a few more of the pieces together in terms of their influences. I guess things like, you know, I always get the name wrong, like the West, the West Coast Experimental Art oh, yeah. <laughs> Band, yeah. you know, you know, or elements of the Kings, or even elements of things like Donovan maybe and of course people always evoke the Beatles um for obvious reasons but but yeah you can never quite pin it down and and even even the Beatles it's like well what Beatles like what yeah. what Beatles you know <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a time between Rubber Soul and Revolver and a time that didn't quite exist an album that wasn't quite made or something exactly exactly I think it is that time an album that wasn't quite made for sure yeah I was talking to a friend of mine the other night about because he he'd he'd he just bought a he I think he'd just bought a repressive revolver but he hadn't he hadn't he hadn't properly checked the copy he was buying and then it turned out to be the US copy which is like the US edition which oh with all the songs missing with stuff. all the songs yeah. missing and he was yeah. he was really he was really pissed off yeah. but um we we were talking about um cuz you know i mean yeah I, that 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 would be my if i if i had to if i had to choose I mean, and I'm not, I must say, I'm a fairly fair weather Beatles, Beatles fan. I am not by any means a Beatles obsessive, but if I had to choose a Beatles album, I think, I think I would choose Revolver with Rubber Soul, a close runner up. So it is, it is that, it is that period.
I love what you said about broadcast sounding, reminding you of Northern Soul. Yeah, it's just something about the attitude, that that sense of a kind of lost, like a lost kind of pop world. I mean, I always think of broadcast as like a really great, they're a really fantastic pop band, as are the clientele, you know, and I mean I mean that as, a, as an absolute compliment, you know, because one of the hardest things to do is to write a good pop song. And broadcast had so many like beautiful kind of pop melodies, but they were just like, appear and then disappear again you would get this tantalizing moment in a broadcast song and it would just like surface and then this little earworm and then it would go away <laughs> it was almost like these lost that kind of sense of a lost like the hits the hits that never were you know the hits that missed which was the whole kind of melancholy and but also joy of of, of northern soul it was a, a whole kind of a whole scene built around records that nobody ever heard you know? yes yeah yeah incredible <laughs> One of my favourite ever albums is the last broadcast album, the one with the focus group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great record. I just think it's absolutely incredible. And I think yeah. that when you were talking about that, was there's a song on there, I think it's called Drug Party, which <laughs> very, <laughs> where it just sounds, it's this, it sounds like there's some weird, sinister party going on and this yeah. really slowed down, funky loop, which is completely disjointed. So it loops in a really, you know, unmetrical way. Um, mm -hmm, but it just sounds mm -hmm. like it's almost something you could dance to, but you just completely mm -hmm. couldn't dance to it, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> and I, th I think it's just such an amazing album because it's, yeah, like you say, it's full of these beautiful melodies that come and go, and it's fragmentary. And, you know, going back to the Beatles, there's something White Album-y about it as well, which is what the new Cleontel album reminds me of, where it's True. it's this compendium of things, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it sounds quite haunted as well, you know. Yeah, so. yeah, that's right, that that haunted quality is there. And, I mean, I think, you know, broad, Broadcast always had a, maybe a slightly more, I mean, you use the word sinister, and I think that's true, like a slightly more kind of, explicitly kind of witch, witchy, witchy kind of spooky yeah. quality mm. to them they definitely tapped into that kind of weird weird folk vein you know the weird the wicker man vibes yes. but um but you know the clientele too in a in a in a in a something of a different way but I mean, we were talking about world building before, but also that sense of kind of being in, being in, being in touching distance of some kind of other, some other world, some other world that's kind of slid, sitting slightly adjacent to, to the, to, to the, the real, the real world, quote unquote. And another artist, I remember, remember the, in the early 2000s when I was, um, or, you know, the kind of 2005, six kind of era when I was, um, very involved in, in, in blogging. And I was kind of, I guess, part of that whole scene that revolved around K-punk and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I knew, yeah. I knew, I knew the late, um, Mark Fisher, um, right. people like that. And, uh, and, and I remember when kind of, um, when the first couple of burial records came out, like those, those first EPs and the first album. And, and I remember even then thinking to myself, you know, because burials are obviously a very London, a very London specific artist. And, and, and obviously the clientele too have a lot of songs that seem to revolve around London or take place in London. I mean, I say that as someone who's only been to London like twice in my life, but you know, um, but I, I remember even then thinking to myself, oh, you know, I really wish I could, 
I really wish I could kind of write, even though these two artists seem to come from completely different musical trajectories. Nevertheless, I found something, again, as with broadcast, I found something of a parallel. And it's part, it's partly about that sense of, that very specific sense of place, but it's also about that sense of kind of just being on the other side of the veil from from some other other world, which obviously is someone like um, Burial is, is, is very good at, 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 at evoking, you know. Um, in fact, I seem to have even remembered at some point when I was on Twitter in the early days of, of Twitter, even maybe messaging the clientele and saying something about, oh, you know, are you into burial? And, and they said yes. And mm. I was, I mean, which is the thing. And I, again, I've, I mean, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen Alistair kind of give some interviews, kind of pre-interview, uh, kind of interviews before this new record has come out. And, you know, I mean, we corresponded a little bit when I was doing the afterward for his book of lyrics. And again, some of the, some of the musical influences on this album are not necessarily coming from kind of guitar music at all. They do seem to be coming from from a, a world much more of kind of electronic music and 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 stuff like that, but not in a not in a naff way. It's not like, oh, we're gonna make our dance album now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I think it's just the uh, yeah, but burial is it again just extraordinary evoking a past even if it's not your past, you know, but it does, it does seem to be so capable of evoking feelings of nostalgia somehow in its sound. Absolutely. You know? yeah. 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 Again, that sense of, I mean, because, you know, that is, I mean, what, what is, I remember, I remember kind of learning, learning this at art, at art school, um, you know, the, the kind of the, the mean, the meaning of nostalgia as, as being ho- homesickness, you know, um, I mean, that's, that's the kind of, if you translate the Greek, that's the meaning of the word is is is, is homesickness, and it, it it is it is that sense of again in artists like the clientele and in 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 burial too of of just of yeah of a of a place that you can't of of a place that you can't get back to a place in yeah. a time you know yeah. that you are intensely homesick for and intensely nostalgic for. I mean, I think I think I think in some words the word nostalgia gets. You know, it's been so del- it's been so diluted and kind of, um, but it is. I mean, it's that's that's what it is in those artists. Is that is that intense kind of longing, like, yeah. you know, um, and homesickness for for somewhere that you can never, you can just never return to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned as well about sometimes having that nostalgia for those very early clientele, you know, the suburban light mm. era. Mm, where mm. it almost accidentally sounded like that because of the nature of the way it was recorded and yeah that's right yeah yeah I mean you know those those obviously those records the suburban light and 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 the violet hour in particular I mean they 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 do just they do have that sound that as you say almost almost accidentally just because of their own limitations and 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 studio equipment they sound they sound the way that they sound but yeah. I think um you know, I think I think it's I think it's all for the best that they have never tried to kind of do that again. Because again, mm. I mean, there's no there's actually no way of going back to yeah. that. You know, there, yeah. there's there's no it's that kind of it's that conundrum too that bands often get themselves into where 
somewhere somewhere along the way, maybe by your second or third album, you've actually learned how to play your instruments, mm. and then it's like, oh, what what do we do now? Because yeah. you can't you can't get back to that that initial sound that you that you had. You just can't you can't you can't kind of regress your own <laughs> yeah totally technical ability. So what do you do? What do you do? And some 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 artists deal with that much better than others when they. They, they both learn what they're doing technically and or have access to much better resources than they began with, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds weird to bring up Oasis in this podcast, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> early Oasis, when they had that first drummer who was very, he was a good drummer, but he wasn't sophisticated. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to slag off musicians, but it was very basic style the way he played. Mm. But that, that sounded amazing and they never were able to recapture those early songs because of the simplicity of the playing you know but um, yeah I might edit that bit yeah out. <laughs> I mean I mean I mean I will say that I will say though that ba- you know bands un- under it they underestimate their rhythm sections at their peril yeah, yeah, you yeah, know sure. um and and I mean obviously and one 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 thing that that that, that has made the client the clientele here I here I am about to do the Australian pronunciation <laughs> clientele um you know, one one thing that's that's made them really great is that they've always had such wonderful rhythm mm. rhythm yeah. playing. You know, um, um, and I, I, you know, I know I know the early records. In fact, I believe their original bass player has lived in Australia for a long time. And the original, oh even, yeah, the original guitarist Innes. Yeah, I think he. Oh, Innes. Yeah, yeah, original yeah he guitarist. lives in. I'm going to be talking to him. Uh, sometime soon. Uh, yeah, I think well, he, I believe he lives in Sydney. Actually, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, if you can <laughs> arrange arrange a meet up, I'll be very keen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <to pepper laughs> sure. in with questions. I'm sure we would not want that. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, but but you know, but that 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 rhythm that rhythm section, um, totally. James and James and Mark. Um, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's so um, it's kind of so 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 nimble, but not in a show offy way. Yeah. And, and really subtle and yeah yeah um I'm you know I've 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 seen many many a band that I've been a fan of kind of trade out trade out a really great drummer like perhaps Oasis did and you just sit back and go more fool you because (laughs) you don't know you don't know what you've just you don't know what you've just given up yeah yeah Uh, wow so um yeah, we'll we'll finish up in, in a minute. I, I just mm. I, was, I was curious. To, yeah, amazed you. So you knew Mark Fisher and. Uh, yeah, you know. yeah. Because I had a I had a, uh, um, a I had a blog. Um, yeah, I kind of started blogging. I think around two two thousand and five. I would have just graduated from art school. I'll send you a link. I'll send you a link to a big a big piece that a bunch of us wrote a couple right. of years ago. Um, um, but but yeah, and I kind of. Um, you know, like a lot of people, I, I kind of read Bliss blog and Simon mm. Reynolds blog, and and um, you know, I got I got in, and I, you know, I'd been writing about music for a couple of years through through the street press, like I was talking about before, and and then uh, kind of blog blogging became a bit of a thing, and in my mind, it was almost just like an extension of zines, you know, which mm. I'd already made for a long time, and I was like, oh great, I can do a zine, but on the internet, you know. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the crucial thing about blogs, which we only came to realise retrospectively, is that they existed in a kind of pre-social media world. There was yeah. that mo- there was that moment of a few years of blogging that felt so exciting and so interesting, partly because it was an internet before social media. 
And so this wonderful kind of exchange of ideas was going on and, and yeah, and so so um so I kind of quickly became involved um in that in that blogging network and then I was living in the States for a few years. So partly when I was here in Australia and partly when I was in the States, um, which is how I also kind of um because I was in the States for a few years, I got I got I got to kind of meet I mean Simon Simon and I both lived in New York at the same time mm. and um and you know, I met Mark a couple of times in person, both in the UK and in and in, in the US when I was living there. And yeah, so people like Mark and Owen Hatherley and Simon Reynolds and um it was it was it was such a it was such an interesting moment and and I always feel like um I'm sure someone like Owen, I mean, we're a very similar age, would 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 say the same. Because it was interesting. There was a kind of the whole that whole blogging scene, there were really two there there were people like Mark and Simon who were who were older and who had written for the music press, particularly someone like Simon who'd kind of come up through the 80s through Melody Maker and things like that. And so they they were they were already very experienced um critics and writers and they kind of really embraced blogging as a, as a as as a as a as a means and of of publishing things kind of outside the more restrictive realm of the of the music press or you know the newspapers or whatever and then then there were then there were people like me and Owen who were younger and who were kind of in our early to mid 20s at that time and who I guess kind of cut cut our teeth in that in that blogging realm um um kind of you know, going, going, going toe to toe, kind of on mm. critical opinion with these older, with yeah. these older critics, and I mean that that kind of intergenerational transmission of knowledge, I think, is so is so important. And yeah. I'm always sad that I don't. I look around now, and I don't. I mean, maybe it is happening, but I, I don't. I don't kind of quite know where. I don't yeah, know yeah. if it is happening. I don't know where it is happening. Um, yeah. Ian Penman was another one. He had a great right. blog, and I mean, yeah. and he. You know, he's had. I've I've been really um, gratified to see to see him have a, a revival as a yeah. as a writer in the past few years because he's a writer who I I have always thought was magnificent and we all loved his blog. But at the time that he was doing his blog, it was kind of that was it really, and it just seemed like people outside that world people didn't really know about him. So I'm really I'm, I've been really pleased to see. Um, not that he needs to hear it from me, but just as a reader, as a as a fan of Ian Penman's yeah. writing, I've been really, I've been really pleased to see um, his writing find find new homes in the yeah. past few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote a brilliant thing about the Beatles in the LRB, I think, uh, yeah. a couple of years ago, which was really really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a great writer. Yeah, excellent. Great. I, I thank. Sorry, I've taken over, gone over an hour here. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. That's all right. I it's, don't. I don't have anything else on the agenda this evening <laughs> apart from apart from uh, watching the cricket, which starts oh, in nice. about an hour. So okay. Perfect. Perfect timing. Yeah. The great. The great. The great soap opera that is the Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shame! Shame to say, I'm not. I don't really watch cricket. <laughs> no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a cricket devotee by mm. by any means. But there, are, I, I did grow up like a lot of Australians. I grew up in a totally cricket mad mm. family, so I, I kind of absorbed it whether I wanted to or not. And and there are there 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 are there have been times in my life, and this is one of them, where I have turned to it as a very welcome distraction. Mm. And yeah. It has it has done its job. Yeah. <laughs> it's done its job over That's the past good. few weeks. 
Nice. I do. I do always find it very relaxing whenever I do watch it. Yeah, I mean, again, you can. It's a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit like walking. And and I have. I've talked to a few people about this lately. I'm sure this won't be in the podcast, so don't mind me. I'm just blathering now. But um, one, I guess the um, one one of the things I I really like about cricket is, and I guess the way I grew up with it as a child is that it was largely a thing that existed on the radio, right? Right, right. And the sonic, the sonics of cricket, yeah. the, the sonics of cricket I find really appealing of all sports, and I'm not really much of a sports person, but of yeah. all sports, I find it sonically the most satisfying yeah. because it's kind of like, it's, 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 it's weird because obviously it takes so long and it's so slow. Um, so it's one of the few. It's one of the few kind of broadcast experiences where you get a lot of like dead air, you yeah, know, yeah. and just this kind of sense of like longer and kind of pause, and yeah. and then you'll hear this kind of clunk, yeah. and and, oca- and occasionally a kind of great cheer will go up, and that's when you know something has actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> But it's like the, the test match. The test match special on the BBC is like a real institution. The people do. I've been it. listening to yeah. a few of their their yeah. episode, their Ashes episodes. Um, yeah. Their British bias is appalling, but I guess they're <laughs> British, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. no, but the son. It is the the Sonics are yeah. quite relaxing and quite meditative because totally, yeah. it is it is like a background. I, I wrote something about this the other day on my on my current blog. Actually, just the kind of the ambient the ambient sound of. Yeah. cricket i do i do find the ambience it's a really you know nice the ambience bit. of it really appealing there's a lovely bit in the is it th white mm. who wrote the sword and the stone you know the, the mm. children's books there's a lovely mm-hmm. bit with the yeah is, is it what falling asleep listening to a cricket match in the distance it's really really yeah. beautifully done you know i it's can great. imagine yeah, yeah so i feel like i that. i feel like i had that experience yeah. many times over as a as a child of of being in the like long road trips in the car, yeah. kind of half asleep, listening, you know, with the, when the cricket would be on, yeah, or mm. you know, obviously if the matches are being played in England, and actually in the past few weeks I've had this experience, you know, the matches are being played in England, so they start they start here at eight pm, right, and it's that sense of like by the time the lunch the lunch break has ended. I love the fact that cricket has meal breaks. It never fails to crack me up. But um, <laughs> but by the time the lunch break is done, it's like eleven p.m. here. So you're yeah. ready to go to bed. But it's that thing of oh, I just want to. I just want to listen to what happens after the lunch break. So yeah. you have that sense of kind of falling. In fact, the app the app I have on my phone for the ABC, which is our equivalent of the BBC, it does have this. It actually has a snooze function on it, so yeah. you can say. I want to listen to this for another 15 minutes or whatever. And you, you do have that sense of falling asleep. Yeah. Listening to the cricket. And it's just kind of in the background. That's nice. Like know. An ambient sport. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's totally an ambient sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the only kind of sport I can actually deal with. Yeah, is an yeah, ambient yeah. sport. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Thank you so much for listening to the Cleontel podcast. Uh, it occurred to me listening back to this episode that two recent songs, which make brilliant use of spoken word, are Hard Drive by Cassandra Jenkins and I Do This All The Time by Self Esteem. And I wish I'd mentioned those in the episode, but there we go. If you don't know them, please check them out because they're both brilliant songs. Uh, next week, I'll be speaking to my good friend and the person who first introduced me to Suburban Light, Kate Connolly. Kate's been a fan of the band from the beginning, so it's a really, really interesting conversation. The Cleontel podcast was produced, edited and mixed by me with help from Johnny White and Dave Collingwood. 
My website is robinallender.com and if you want to get in touch, you can find me at Robin Allender on social media. See you next week. Thank you.